Good morning, sons and daughters of the Most High God. We are in Acts chapter 12. Acts chapter 12. We're talking about fortitude. As we have noted, the book of Acts is about people living with fortitude. F-O-U-R-T-I-T-U-D-E, spelled F-O-U-R. Love God, love yourself, love others, and love creation, right? Four things, four things. It's what God's asking of us from Genesis to Revelation is simply four things. And the book of Acts kind of gives us an idea of how the early Christians live their life and how they live with fortitude every day. So we get to chapter 12, and it's a great story, and it begins like this. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. Now, if you remember, James and John were the sons of Zebedee. That's such a great name. <laughs> such a great name. I, I think everybody would name their child Zebedee. Isn't that a great name? It's kind of rolls, right? Zebedee. And so they were brothers, and they were known as the sons of thunder, right? Why? Because they were so bold. They, they lived their life with fortitude. They were so bold. And they had a mother, they had a mother who really tried to step into their lives a lot. If you remember the story shortly before Jesus went to the cross, uh, she had a meeting with Jesus. Jesus, we need to have a meeting, we need to have a chat. Uh, I've got this thing all planned out, and this is how it's going to go down. And I'm sure Jesus smiled and said, okay, what's, what's that, Mrs. Zebedee? And so uh, <clears throat> she says, well, when you come into your kingdom... When you, when you establish the kingdom here in a few weeks, uh, I want my sons to sit on the thrones on either side of you. I, I want James on one side and John on the other, and uh, I want them to rule and reign with you. And Jesus just kind of smiled outwardly, but inwardly he knew that they were, that wasn't, wasn't the way it was going to turn out. And he, he looked at it and said, they, they will share in my, in my kingdom, but it's going to be sharing in my suffering. Right? And so... And so we find here that he's the first apostle that was martyred. The first disciple that was martyred, that is, killed for the name of Jesus, was who? Starts with an S. Stephen, correct. And we saw that earlier in Acts. This is the first of the 12 apostles who was, was murdered for the name of Jesus. We call him a martyr. Right? And King Herod um, was the one who had them killed. Now, King Herod was Herod Agrippa I, who was the grandson of Herod the Great. Okay, we remember the story, Herod the Great. Herod the Great was not a nice guy. He killed both his wife and his son. Okay, he killed his wife and his son because he thought they were a threat to the kingdom. But he didn't kill his grandson. He kind of liked him. And that was Herod Agrippa I. Crazy, huh? Now, the reason he was killing Christians was because King Herod Agrippa I was trying to get in good and stay in good with the Jewish people. He had some ancestors who were of the Jewish faith, and so he was trying to make them happy, and he realized, well, if I just kill a few Christians every now and then, uh, the Jews will be happy with me, and I won't have any trouble out of them, and, and uh, they'll pay their taxes, and everything will go along like it's supposed to. And that's how he thought. So he was... He was doing what he thought was politically correct. Now, you've not heard that the last two weeks, have you? 
right? Right. We're, we're in a mess in America, right? Just a mess. And so, but it shouldn't surprise us, there was a mess back then, yeah. right? And even back before Herod the Great and, and all that, it, it was a mess back then, right? And you go all the way back to Adam and Eve in the garden, and it wasn't a mess, and then all of a sudden it was a mess. And then they had a couple of sons, and one of them killed the other one, right? And it was a mess all over again. So it's always been a mess. Uh, I don't know if it's more of a mess now than it was back in the day, but it's certainly a mess now. And when we cry out to God, God has a way of intervening. He says, exactly, he says, if my people who are called by my name will and what? And eat together. Is that what it says? No. Pray. Then what? Turn from your wicked ways. Come on. Yes, yes. The heart of it is prayer, humbling ourselves enough to pray, right? He'll heal our land. And it says, if my people, not if the heathen folks in the world, that's not what it says in that scripture. It says, if my people, he's talking about Christians today, as we would take that scripture and apply it to ourselves, he's talking about Christians. So we see, we see persecution. Do you know that persecution is alive and real today against Christians? Do you know that a couple of months ago in Nigeria, 120 Christians were attending a funeral of one of their church members, one of their family, and some men came in and slaughtered all of them at a funeral. At a funeral. Men, women, children. Gone. 3,000 Christians last year lost their lives in an act of martyrdom where they had to uh, say, I, I choose Jesus, and, and they were martyred. Just this past week, China, China. And we know China's a communist country and nothing like a democracy here. But they have torn down several hundred church buildings, right? And have said the only way you can be a church in China, a Christian church in China, is if you sing songs and teach things that are more communist in nature. So they've changed the words to some of the songs, Christian songs, Chinese have. And you can <laughs> sing the song if you sing it according to the words, and you can teach the Bible if you teach it according to the words of communism. Isn't that something? You go to church, you pick up a Bible, uh, pick up a hymn book, and, and it's changed to, to what they want. So this persecution, even today, even in the 21st century, as modern as we are, there's still persecution. Well, he had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. And when he saw that this pleased the Jews, he said, man, I... My poll numbers went up after I did that. Let's, let's do that again. He proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And after arresting Peter, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Now, it wasn't 16 at one time. It was four guards. And they rotated every four hours right, during the day and during the night to watch over them. Uh, he intended to bring him out to public trial after the Passover. Who else do you know was taken at Passover for a trial and was murdered? Who? Jesus, Jesus yeah. So, so we see Peter encountering the same thing several years later. We don't know exactly how much later, but several years later we see him encountering the same thing that Jesus went through. 
what was Jesus' words to Peter? Right? He said, you're going to deny me back then, right? And that what he said back around the cross? A handmaid came up to him and said, oh, you're one of those disciples. No, I'm not. I'm not one of those disciples. I've never been with those people. I've never, I've never been there. I didn't go to that party, right? Jesus said, you're going to deny me three times. And here, it's a whole different story. So Peter was kept in prison. But the church was earnestly eating. But the church was earnestly singing songs. But the church was earnestly listening to the preacher preach. What does it say? The church was earnest, earnestly praying. Not, not half-heartedly praying. Not kind of praying. Everybody was praying. And they were all probably praying out loud. I remember the first time I went to a, a prayer service where everybody prayed at one time. I was asked to go do a revival in a, in a church. This was down in Georgia. And I got there, and, and uh, the pastor said, before we got to preach, the, the deacons get in the upper room and pray. And so sure enough, we went up in the upper room. I mean, the stairwell was about this wide. You had to walk sideways. I was a little tall, right? And so I had to squat down like this to go up. They had made an upper room in the upper room of this building. That, that You know, it was, it was great. And so we get up in the 20 or 30 men, and we're all standing like this, you know, this, this, this far away from each other. There's nowhere to sit. We're just standing. And the pastor says, let us pray. And every one of them started praying at the same time. Scared me good. It's like, well, what is this? I'd never been a part of that. But the more they prayed, the more I said, I'm joining this thing. So I started praying out loud. I'd never done that before in a, in a group like that together. It, it was amazing. Every night we did that. Every night we did that. Praying earnestly. Praying earnestly. I can remember my first all-night prayer meeting I went to. We, uh, some of us teenagers, just the guys, went up to uh, this house on the lake and this young man was leading it. I don't remember his name or anything about him, but he was leading this prayer meeting and, and we started praying and after about 20 minutes, I'm thinking, well, we ought to be done about now. It's time to go get something to eat, right? Right? You know, teenager, it's time to eat about every 20 minutes, right, Dwayne? About every 20 minutes, is that about right? Yeah. We prayed for hours. Well, they prayed for hours. I just kind of sat there and watched it for a while because I, I was young. I didn't understand. I was 14. It's like, this is, this is new. They earnestly prayed. And this church earnestly prayed to God for Peter. Now, the night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. So there's four soldiers here. Peter is chained to two of them. Okay? And then two of them are standing guard over the gate. You get the pictures, four guards there, ready to do battle. He's chained to them. So we got two soldiers, two chains, two chains, two sentries, uh, and one iron gate. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord. Now, how many times have we seen angels so far in 12 chapters? They just keep popping up, don't they? And I promise you, angels keep popping up in your life, too. I was in a business the other day, and as I was leaving, I said, you guys be nice to everybody that comes in here because you don't know you might be entertaining strangers. And one of the people there started quoting that Hebrews passage where it says, you might be entertaining strangers. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell, and he struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said. And the chains fell off of Peter's 
wrists. So here's Peter. He's chained by the wrist, right? To two guards. Two sentries standing outside. One iron gate. Now, it's interesting. You, you rarely see angels touching people. There, there are some times in the Bible where they do touch people. Usually they're just talking, right? And so remember Jacob wrestled with the angel, or perhaps the Lord Christ himself, right? But that angel touched him on the hip, and his hip was out of socket from then on, right? right? And so angels occasionally might just nudge you a little bit, right? So Peter got a nudge. I don't think it was a gentle nudge. The angel had an assignment. And what I've discovered about angels in the Bible is when God gives them an assignment, they jump on it. They don't mess around. They don't talk. They don't talk back. Really got it. I don't like Peter. He's kind of boisterous. I don't like his beard. He's really <laughs> ugly. His mama dresses him funny. You know, you don't see the angels going through that, right? Right? Do I have time? Oh, I got a dentist appointment. Can I really afford to go wake up Peter when I got a dentist appointment? You just don't see that. You see humans doing that. We'll make every excuse in the book not to go tell somebody about Jesus, won't we? Come on now. Be honest. We'll, we'll think of everything in the book why I shouldn't go help somebody that I see this is, is in need. Well, maybe somebody else will get to it. I, I helped somebody yesterday. We just, we just make up excuses. Let's be honest. We're all, we're all guilty of that. Angels aren't. We need to be more like angels. God said, go get Peter and get him out of there. And the angel's like, get up, man. I got a job to do. Get up. The angel wanted to get his job done so he could please God. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off of Peter's wrist. I guess you could say he was off the chain, right? Wow. I'm sorry. I waited on that one all week, Don. <laughs> then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and your sandal. sandals. And Peter did so. Now wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And the angel, uh, the angel told him, Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. Now, Peter had had visions before, right? Some recorded, some not recorded. We don't really know. But he knew, he knew what a vision was, and he thought he was having a vision. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself. You know, God can break down gates of bronze and cut through bars of steel uh, just by speaking. He, he can do anything, right? And it opened for them by itself, and they went through it. And when they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. The angel said, I'm done. I'm done. He got him out of jail. He got him out of harm's way down one street. And then he left him. The angel was done. Then Peter came to himself and said, now I know without a doubt that the Lord sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were anticipating. You see, it was the Jewish people that wanted Peter killed. Right? Peter was a Jew. He was one of them. <coughs> he had grown up with them. He had he'd been to Bible school, if you will. He had been to school with them as, as, a, young, as a young lad. He, He'd, he'd fish with them. He'd sold them fish. He'd eaten fish with them. They, they knew each other. They were kin to each other, right? And because he had confessed his faith and trust in Jesus Christ, they turned on him. 
you know, Jesus said in John chapter 1, 12, it says, It came unto his own, and his own what? Received him not. Received him not right? Peter came to his own, and his own received him not. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, or also known as John Mark, right? He wrote the book of Mark, actually. So he went to Mary's house, and there were many people gathered there who were praying. Now, how did he know to go to that house? I'm thinking the Holy Spirit led him, because there were probably people in other houses praying that night, and this probably wasn't the only place they were praying, but this is the house he went to. And Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening the door and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. Now, I'm sure somebody told him, whatever happens, if somebody knocks on the door, don't answer it. It'll be a bad guy. Whatever happens, don't answer the door. That's, that's probably what they'd said because they're, they're coming to kill us, right? That was their thinking at that point. There was rioting in the streets, and so they were afraid. And so Rhoda opens the thing, says, well, that's Peter right there, and closes the door and goes back and says, I've seen Peter. And they said, uh, you're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said, it must be his angel. Now, what happened when Mary and the other Mary and, and the other Mary went to the tomb of Jesus and saw that it was empty? And went back to the disciples and said, what? He's gone. And they said, you're crazy, right? What, what are you talking about? Treat him the same way. So we see some parallels between Peter and Jesus here. It's just an interesting parallel that we're seeing here. They, they didn't believe the report. They didn't believe Rhoda's report, right? But Peter kept on knocking. And when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. <laughs> Rhoda's like, I told you, I told you. And Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the brothers about this, he said, and then he left for another place. In the morning, there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. After Herod had a thorough search made, he called the FBI in, and they did seven searches, seven inquiries, right, and did not find him. He cross-examined the guards himself and ordered that they be executed. Then Herod went from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there for a while. I guess he got tired of that place. He had been quarreling with the people of Tyre and Sidon. They now joined together and sought an audience with him. Having secured the support of Blastus, a trusted personal servant of the king, they asked for peace because they depended on the king's country for their food supply. They're trying, to, they're trying to strike a deal here, a political deal. And on the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robes, sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people. They shouted, this is the voice of a God, not a man. And immediately because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down, and he was eaten by worms and died. <laughs> And that order is bad. Now, if you die and are eaten by worms, that's okay, right? That's just the natural order of things. But if you're eaten by worms, then you die. That's really bad. I mean, think about that, right? That's, yeah, it's a very slow death, right? Yeah. Have you ever noticed how disgusting some of the things in the Bible are? 
right? From Genesis to Revelation, there's just some yee things that show up in the Bible. That is all the evidence. That's not all the evidence. That is a piece of evidence that I need to believe that the Bible is real. Because you read other writings and everything's just all perfect and nothing ever goes bad and everything's lovely. and No, that's not reality. That's not reality. Life stinks sometimes. Right? Messy things happen. Right? Life happens. Forrest Gump was right. Life happens. Right? But the word continued to increase and spread. And when Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, they returned from Jerusalem, taking with them John, who's also called Mark. John Mark. You know, just a couple of takeaways from this whole story for me. Uh, it says when they prayed. The, the, the Greek word it says without ceasing, earnestly. It means intense prayer. It's the same type of Greek word used for Jesus when he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he sweat what? Drops of blood. He was praying so hard that blood came out of his pores. He'd, he'd passed the sweat coming out of his pores, and all that was left was blood to come out of his pores. He was already shedding his blood for us in the Garden of Gethsemane. Thank you, Jesus. Right? Now, I don't know if you have ever prayed that earnestly before. My guess is most of us don't pray that earnestly until something really bad happens or is about to happen to us or someone else. We get a bad report. Our friend gets a bad report. And we, I wonder what it would be like if just every now and then each one of us could take 10 or 15 or 20 minutes and just pray earnestly for one thing hard. 20 or 30 minutes, just really petition God for that and talk to God about it. How would that change our life? How would that change the life of this church or the church in America? Who would be set free from the prison of sin that they're in? What Christian would be set free from the bondage of a religious spirit or Phariseeism or legalism? What Christian would be set free from, from wrong thinking about, about the way God thinks about them? If we just maybe spend a little more time in prayer. Somebody asked Billy Graham, Billy Graham, if you had it all to do over again, what would you do differently? He said, I would do less and pray more. Mighty man of God of Billy Graham said, I would do less and pray more. He realized the power of prayer and accomplishing the will of God was a lot more powerful than sometimes what he was able to do. And so that's the, my first takeaway is, is let's you and I commit to praying to something a little more earnestly this coming week than we did last week. If you spent three minutes praying for somebody, praise God. Try six minutes this week for that one person, for that one need. If it was six minutes, try 12 minutes. Just try it. Let's see what happens. Uh, second thing I noticed is Peter had been warned not to preach Jesus Christ. He'd been warned over and over and over again. But he Wanted to live his life with fortitude. He wasn't scared. He wasn't a coward. And so he continued to preach Christ, knowing that his very life was on the line. Not because of heathen people, but because of religious people. 
the Jews. Heathen people had not come after Peter. They were listening to what he had to say because some of them wanted what he had to say, Jesus. He was not afraid to talk to anyone. He was warned not to preach, but he said, I'm going to preach anyway. I don't know that that day will ever come in America. It might. It's certainly not here today. There's no warnings about preaching Jesus anywhere you go. You might get some crazy looks. You might get uh, in a debate. You might get cussed out. You, you might get attacked. But our government has not threatened us yet. Like they have in so many other countries around the world. So we have an opportunity to preach Jesus Christ without fear of being martyred. The third thing I see here that really speaks to me is Peter was asleep. Peter was asleep. He was, he was going to the gallows, right? He was going to be murdered, martyred just the next day. And he was sound asleep. He was sound asleep in the midst of the prison that someone else had put him in. He was, he was sound asleep, chained between two guards. In the worst possible place you could be. He was sound asleep. I wonder where he learned that lesson. I think he learned the lesson on a boat on the Sea of Galilee. Where they were out in the middle of the, of the, of the, the water. And the waves came and the wind came. And who is asleep in the storm? Jesus. Right? Jesus is taking a nap in the storm. Jesus taught Peter this lesson. The lesson is this. When you can sleep in the midst of a storm, you've already conquered the storm. When you can sleep in the midst of the storms in your life, you've already conquered the storm. Peter learned the lesson from Jesus. When you're up against it, we're in the prison. When you're we're in a boat, when you're in a storm, when, when, when life is crashing down on you, take a nap. Take a nap. Peter wasn't praying. He wasn't singing. He wasn't, he wasn't preaching. He probably ought to witness to the guards. He wasn't doing any kind of church stuff. He wasn't taking communion, right? All these wonderful things we get a privilege to do. He wasn't doing, he was taking a nap. So on your worst day, take a nap. On your worst day, just take a nap. And tell God, I'm, I'm just going to take a nap here. I'll let you handle this. Bless you. The, the people in Indonesia, thank you. That was, that was a good one. A good, that was a good quick sneeze, it was. Yeah. You know, the greatest place to be in relationship to Jesus is when you can just say, Jesus, I'm going to take a nap. I, I'm done with this. I can't do this. I don't know what to do about this. I don't know how to pray about this. I've tried. I've tried. I've tried. You say all those things to him, that's great. I'm just going to take a nap. Will you handle it? Jesus like, I've been waiting on that for weeks. I've been waiting on you to hand this to me for weeks. Peter took a nap.
And I guess the last thing, my takeaway on this is, why didn't James get delivered? Peter got delivered and James got martyred. Does that make any sense to you? You, you, get, you got these disciples, they're all, the apostles, they're doing the great thing right. James gets arrested and he gets beheaded. Peter gets arrested and he gets set free. I, I don't have an answer for that. I have a scripture though. Hebrews 11. It says, By faith... Some escaped, but by faith, some did not. By faith, some escaped. By faith, some did not. Hebrews eleven thirty four through 37. I don't have an answer for why bad things happen to Christians and why good things happen to heathen, right? That's been a question that's been asked for a long, long time. Here's what I do know. Without faith, it is impossible to stand. Right? And if we're going to stand in this world in which we live, we must have some faith. And one of the greatest acts of faith you can take is to take a nap. It really is. One of the greatest acts of faith you can take is to ask an angel for help. Maybe Peter would ask the angel to help him. We don't know that, but... The Bible says that they're sent as ministering spirits to minister to us. So maybe you need to ask your angel for help with some problem. Maybe Peter proclaimed his faith before he went to sleep. <laughs> maybe Peter proclaimed his faith before he went to sleep, absolutely. So I don't know why James and Peter, here's what I do know is, Without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he that cometh to God must confess and admit and believe that he exists. For he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek after him. Right? Hebrews eleven six. And that word please does not mean we displease God. It just means God is up there going, oh, that's so great. It's like the first time your child walks, oh, that's so good, that's so good. The first time your child recites the alphabet and gets them anywhere close to right, oh, that's so good, I'm just so pleased. The first time your child learns to swim in the water, that's so good, I'm so pleased. It's not that God's displeased. It's that he's excited when we take a step of faith and act in faith in some small way. Whether that's taking a nap, or witnessing to the president, or the king, or whoever's in charge. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Father, I just thank you so much for this day. I thank you for this story. And Father, I pray right now that if there's anyone here this morning that's trapped, that's chained to something that they don't need to be chained to, I pray that you would break that chain. You break every chain. You break every chain this morning that it might bring glory to you. Father, if it's a spiritual chain, break it. If it's a soul tie, tied to someone else and we're chained to someone else from generations past or this generation, some soul commitment we made at some point, Father, we ask that you break that chain off of us. 
Father, if there's some financial chain that has bound us, that you would come and just smash that chain off of us so that we could live in financial freedom and prosperity so we can help others with what you give us. Father, if we're chained to a root of bitterness, Father, if we're chained to a root of bitterness, I ask that you please come now and break that chain. Send an angel to deliver us from that root of bitterness that it might bring glory to you. Father, if we're chained to envy, come and smash that chain. Deliver us from envy and jealousy to where we can be true encouragers and truly celebrate with those who've had a victory in their lives. Father, if we're chained to pride, I pray you come break that chain. Just break it, break it, break it, break that chain of pride. Come, Father, set us all free this morning. Set us all free from any chain that's binding us today. Set us free in the name of Jesus. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen.